Hey Dan, should I invest my money with an investment firm that uses revenue sharing? Only if you want to help fund dividend payments to your advisor's shareholders. Welcome to Fleece Fests, where we talk about hiding costs from clients. I'm Jessica, and I'm going to be honest with you, Dan, I'm blissfully unaware of what revenue sharing is. I'm Dan, and let me tell you, Jess, revenue sharing pisses me off. <laughs> All right, let's just start from the top here. What, what are we talking about here? What is revenue sharing? Revenue sharing is a business practice in financial services where a financial advisory firm recommends certain investment or insurance products and then receives a share of the expense ratios and costs of those products that are charged to clients. So we're not talking about sales charges and commissions, right? Where the client can see those costs up front and know what they are paying up front, assuming the advisors are being transparent. We're talking about products being more expensive for the client client solely because the firm is recommending those products once a share on top of any commissions or fees they're charging the client. So let me give you an example. When I was still with Waddell and Reed, which no longer exists anymore, so I'm happy to talk about it, they came out with a product called Map Navigator, which was a mutual fund wrap program, meaning a program where you're going to buy a collection of mutual funds and pay a fixed cost or fixed fee to use that program as a client. And that program originally allowed investments from American funds, Vesco, PIMCO, Lord Abbott, and T. Rowe Price. Now, in that catalog, T. Rowe Price had an S&P 500 index fund with an expense ratio of about 0.27% or 0.28%. It's a little bit lower today, but for comparison, Vanguard's S&P 500 index funds at the same time were charging about 0.03% or 0.04% for the ETF or the mutual fund. So we're talking about seven times the cost for an index product a highly popular commoditized index product. Now, it took me a little while to figure out, but I realized, or finally realized, that the higher expense ratio wasn't because of economy of scale issues, like the fund was too small or something like that. It was because the product was designed to overcharge for that index fund in order to generate enough revenue to pay a kickback to the advisory companies that were using the product. And that index fund wasn't alone. There were dozens of funds in this Map Navigator program that had higher than necessary expense ratios in order to pay the firm a kickback just for being available in the catalog of options. And on top of that, there was a 0.15% platform or wrap fee. So the firm was making about 0.4% on investments in this program on top of their split of the advisory fee that was being paid to the advisor. I mean, an advisor has to get paid, right? What makes revenue sharing different from things like assets under management or 12B1 fees? Revenue sharing evolved over the past decade or so as a way of getting around increasing scrutiny over 12B1 fees, which are, for anyone who doesn't know, marketing and distribution fees that are traditionally paid by a mutual fund company to a selling broker as a way of compensating them to continue servicing and selling shares of the funds to clients for the company. So it's sort of a marketing fee that's been tacked on to the actual operating costs of the fund. Now, the SEC and FINRA have gotten a lot harsher towards these commission-based mutual funds over the past several years, particularly around 12B1 fees. So firms have been looking for other ways to offset the loss of 12B1 fees in other ways. Okay, but really, does this make any difference if clients were already paying these fees, right? And they're just rebranding them. What's what's the harm? Well, Jess, I'm going to send you a link to a firm's revenue sharing disclosure, and I'd like you to read the amounts that they've received from their revenue sharing partners in just the year 2022. 
Okay. Well, uh, so American Funds has paid out in that 2022 $110 million. Okay. Uh, it's big bucks here. Uh, MS, oh, excuse me. MFS Fund Distributors paid out $35.1 million. Uh, it looks like Hartford Investment Financial Services paid about $20.3 million. And Invesco looks like they paid out $27.7 million. Wow. And there's about another 10 other mutual fund firms here, I think, on here. So big bucks, Dan. The total of all of them, which I will not make you read all of, is about $287 million in just 2022. That's a lot. That is an enormous amount of money just for access to advisors selling these products because it's a pay-to-play scheme. If these firms don't pay revenue sharing to this firm, then they will not get access to the advisors and their products will not be used. So the firms are not only paying back to this advisory firm almost $300 million per year, they are then also still making enough money on top of that to make it worth paying to this single firm in the first place. How does this ultimately impact clients? Well, there's really a twofold harm here because there's what the client is paying and there's another factor, right? What they're paying and what the advisor is getting paid. The impact to the client is pretty straightforward. The client is paying all of these costs. That nearly $300 million we just described for one advisory company is coming out of their client's pockets. The money doesn't come from nowhere. But that said, you can buy multiple versions of the same investment product with different levels of expenses. And ultimately, that expense is going to end up being borne by the client and is going to go into the pocket of the advisor or their firm or a combination of both. Now, if you go back 30 years when just about all the products being sold on a commission basis, that's just how things worked. Today, you have an enormous universe of investment products that don't have commissions, 12B1s, or even enough of a cost structure or expense ratio to really allow them to afford any sort of revenue sharing. And some firms are famously defiant to doing this. Vanguard's a good example. They refuse to pay revenue shares of any kind, and so you don't see them at a lot of these firms that do revenue sharing agreements. But that means that any recommendation for a product with a higher than necessary expense ratio or share class that a client is going to have to pay is solely to increase revenue to the firm that's recommending the product. Okay, so it's just even more expensive for profitability's sake. But you said that there's a twofold problem here. What's the other half? The second purpose of revenue sharing is actually for recruiting financial advisors, not for the benefit of their clients whatsoever. So on top of the additional costs clients are paying for nothing, paying to generate more revenue for these firms, the real secret to revenue sharing is that it is used to subsidize the payouts to financial advisors of the firms. So even though the advisor will often never be receiving any share of that revenue share, the firm is receiving it, and then they are using that to quote-unquote pay the advisor more. So for example, some of the firms that use revenue sharing the most, that are famous for using it the most, will pay up to 98% of revenue an advisor generates to the advisor and then use the money from the revenue sharing to offset the fact that without it, they'd actually be losing money on that 98% payout because you cannot run a large financial services organization on what is essentially a 2% gross margin. So for example, if a client thinks that they're paying their financial advisory firm 1%, their advisor is getting paid 0.98%. But in fact, they're actually paying the firm something like 1.2 or 1.3% total because of the revenue share. And the advisor is still only being paid 0.98% and the client is paying somewhere in the neighborhood of 0.22 to 0.32% to the firm through the backdoor revenue sharing. Okay, so basically you're paying more money out, but you can't afford it. So you're creating more fees that are more hidden to clients 
And this is helping recruit advisors how? Advisors are easily drawn to a good anchored price as anyone. When a firm comes knocking on the door of advisors who work for a wirehouse or a firm that's only paying them something like 35, 40% of their revenue being generated, and they're being told, hey, look, buddy, we pay 98%. That's a pretty enticing number. We're talking about doubling our income potentially. Now, these advisors can figure out by themselves that they'll be paying some extra costs. So it won't just be increasing their take home by, let's say, 58% if they're being paid 40% originally. But they may not stop to consider how it is possible for the firm to do business on 2% of their revenue. If the firm stopped taking revenue sharing, they'd have to reduce down to a payout level below 90%, probably more in the 70 or 80% range at the highest level. And that's going to make them look a lot less attractive for recruiting purposes, both for existing advisors and even for new advisors. Oh, the tangled webs that we weave. Uh, I'll be honest, Dan, I'm a fee-only financial planner for a reason. I don't want to feel conflicted about the advice that I give my clients, and I want very clear pricing for my clients. I want them to understand what they're signing up for. I feel like this is the complete opposite of that, Uh, but I've also seen big firms that we're talking about offer things like Vanguard ETFs that only cost 0.03%. So is this revenue sharing thing just a hit or a miss? Not really, because the house always wins, or in this case, the firm. When you go read the regulatory filings and disclosures for firms that offer something like an ETF advisory program rather than a mutual fund advisory program, you'll often find that there's more transparency of costs there in the form of a wrap fee or platform fee, which, for the record, are generally just different names for the same thing. It's just a fixed fee or a percentage fee for using the platform. And supposedly, it covers commission costs of trading and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, we're really just paying extra costs for a thing that has been commoditized to the point of being free on many platforms. And those fees can end up being as little as 20 bucks a month or 0.05%. But at the same time, I've seen some as high as a half percent of an account balance annually. Yet these costs are also so unnecessary for the client to pay. And ultimately, they're still just part of the margin for the advisory firm that is not going to be split or shared with the financial advisor in most cases. So it's a cash grab at the end of the day, although it's just a a bit more hidden. I'm thinking about some similar costs uh, like payment for order flow. How is this any different than that? So payment for order flow is a whole additional discussion, and I'll bet some of our listeners would probably say that we should just do an episode on payment for order flow. That said, succinctly, it's not really even on the same level. Now, don't get me wrong, firms that accept payment for order flow rake in millions, if not billions of dollars a year on those transactions, but we're talking about making money because of a high volume of transactions, not because of the margins on each transaction. So for example, Payment for order flow among TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab is around 11 cents per 100 shares on an equity trade. So we're talking about 0.11 pennies per share that's traded or needing to trade at least 10 shares to even have to pay a penny. Now, we are then talking about shares of funds that are measured in tens or hundreds of dollars per share. So when we talk about 0.11 of a single penny, it's essentially nothing. Now compare that to a quarter of a percent or half a percent of your account balance to pay for quote unquote trading costs, except there are no trading costs. And on top of that, the firm is also almost certainly accepting payment for order flow on top of the wrap or platform costs or the revenue sharing that they're making off of these transactions and these funds. No, So it's just an addition to, okay. Uh, what about money market spreads? Pretty similar, but... Another topic we could probably spend an entire episode on. 
but this is how banking works. Succinctly, if you have cash just sitting in your account unused, the bank, or in this case, the brokerage, will package it up and use it to issue loans or buy other assets to generate interest and then pay you a spread between the money that you make on the loans and the assets and the interest that they pay you for letting them do it. You can avoid it almost entirely by simply not sitting on a lot of cash in your investment account or any cash in your investment account. But even if you do have a reason to sit on a lot of cash, you are still typically being paid some amount of interest. Money market spreads are a huge business when we're talking about billions or trillions of dollars sitting in cash at big brokerages, but it's not completely unavoidable. It's just mitigatable to some extent. And even in those cases, you are typically being paid some amount of interest. The best thing you can do is to just reduce the amount of money available to be put into a cash spread in the first place. Cool. As an investor, how do I be on the lookout for this if I maybe I don't care, but I would like to know, or maybe I want to avoid firms that participate in revenue sharing? How do I account for that? The easiest thing you can do is just Google the name of any firm you're working with or looking to work with and the phrase revenue sharing. So ABC Financial Revenue Sharing. Not every firm openly discloses it somewhere, but pretty much all the big names like Edward Jones, Merrill, LPL, and the likes have a webpage dedicated to these types of disclosures because they've gotten sued enough times for doing it and not disclosing it properly that it's essentially part of their legal defense to make it Googleable and have it on the website. Now, the next thing is if you don't find anything there because maybe your Google didn't show anything or maybe there's no web page to actually find, if you don't find anything, you can always dig up the Form ADVs Part 2 and Part 3. The client relationship summary in Part 3 will sometimes disclose that the firm makes more money depending on what recommendations you follow or what products you use, and that's a pretty big red flag on its own. And that said, in part two, you can often find revenue sharing disclosures in item five and further along in the ADV, either in disciplinary actions or in disclosures related to partner firms and affiliate firms. Another easy way to find something in these contexts is just to do a control F if you're on a PC and search for revenue, revenue sharing, or sharing to see if these words or phrases pop up anywhere and then to read the sentence that they exist in to find the context. Finally, and I mean, honestly, this is probably the best defense because it's just very straightforward. Ask your advisor to disclose the total costs of working with them and their firm and the recommendations to you in writing, along with an open disclosure of commissions and revenue shares that they'll receive from what they do for you and what their firm does for you. And then, very important, ask them to send that to you along with their compliance department or compliance officer CC'd on the email. Now, that's an extra step, and you're going to see a ton of advisors and firms back away pretty rapidly when you ask them to do that, because many advisors know that they don't fully understand the scope and cost of what they're recommending and many compliance departments won't let them put specific numbers down or sign off on those numbers or they'll even intervene and say no you can't share that with them it's all disclosed in the forms just show them the forms well if you really want to overpay for financial advice solely for the privilege of making their company's shareholders more profitable be on the lookout for the nearest expensive investment product Fleece Vests is produced by Daniel Yerker and Jessica Gettle. Daniel Yerker is an investment advisor representative of My Wealth Planners, a registered investment advisor in Colorado, and Jessica Gettle is an investment advisor representative of Pavilion Financial Planning, a registered investment advisor in Pennsylvania. Our theme song is Dr. Yes by Yari. Nothing discussed in this podcast is investment advice or any other form of advice, and the podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. If you make investments or other financial decisions because of the podcast, frankly, you weren't listening.
man, seriously, some of these paragraphs are, that we're going over are just freaking word salad. Well, that's the neat part. It's not that they're like word salad. It's because they are word salad, <laughs> Jess. Dan, seriously, some of these paragraphs are, that we're going over are just freaking word salad. Well, that's the neat part. It's not that they're like word salad. It's because they are word salad, Jess. <laughs>